Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. That's really the feeling that everyone's gotten that's involved in this with me, that's helping me is people know, but no one wants to tell out of loyalty, out of fear. We don't know. Fear seems to be a huge factor as far as I can see. They don't want retaliation. They don't want to be the one to rat it out or whatever. And um, leave me an anonymous note, anyone, just where Corey is, just an anonymous note. I'll bring him home and leave the rest to the police. You know, I just want to bring him home. Just let me have that. They don't have to come forward and put themselves in any danger. Just leave me that, you know, give me that. I just want to bring him home. After that, they can, you know, do an autopsy and figure out hopefully what happened and that part. But for now, having Corey back is it's so important to me i just want to bring him home the kootenai region of british columbia is one of the most beautiful and stunning places in the world lush green valleys grow into snow-capped mountain peaks rushing rivers make their way past crystal clear lakes the area is a draw for people who want a slower pace far from the hustle and bustle of any major city. For many folks, the clean air and quiet is an easy trade-off for anything a metropolitan area might offer. And for one 34-year-old man, his move to the region was more about a fresh start than fresh air. It was his opportunity to set down roots, to be closer to his family, and to live a lifestyle that aligned more with his spiritual beliefs. But tragically, Just one year after moving to Nelson, British Columbia, the man would go missing. Today, it seems that there are people who know what happened to him. But sadly, they are not talking. This is the disappearance of Corey Westcott. And this is True North True Crime.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of True North, True Crime. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started on this episode, we want to wish a huge happy birthday to one of our honorary producers, Kelly Donahue. Kelly has been one of our Buy Me A Coffee members since near the beginning, and we hope you had an awesome birthday. Now, we don't know any of our donors' birthdays, but Kelly's daughter reached out to us and asked us if we could send some love Kelly's way for Kelly's birthday. So, happy birthday, Kelly. Yeah, happy birthday, Kelly. We also need to shout out some amazing folks that bought coffees for this week's episode, so a special thank you to Beth, Jen, Jesse, and Lorena. True North True Crime is an independent, self-funded podcast bringing awareness to missing people and victims of violent crimes in Canada. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. It can be a one-time donation, or if you wish to become an honorary producer of the podcast, you can choose the $5 a month member option. Lorena chose that option, and we now welcome them onto the TNTC team. If merch is more your thing, we now have t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, coffee mugs, and stickers for sale with the original True North True Crime logo on them. We just received our own orders, actually, I'm wearing one of the t-shirts right now, and we are excited to be rocking some True North True Crime merch this summer. If you would like some True North True Crime merchandise, we will have the merch link in the show notes of this episode. Now, let's get into tonight's case. Tonight we are bringing awareness to the disappearance of Corey Westcott. We put this episode together using publicly available news articles and the Facebook group Answers for Corey. As always, we are presenting this case in order to bring awareness to it. We are not, and do not claim to be, investigators. In order to really understand this case, we spoke at length with Corey's mother, Dee. We would also like to thank Genevieve Germain, the host of True Crime Real Time, who generously shared her research with us. Genevieve covered Corey's case on her podcast. We highly recommend True Crime Real Time, and we are grateful to Genevieve for helping us out with this episode. So in this episode, we will not be using legal names for anyone except for Corey. We have been privy to a lot of information in this case, and we want to make sure that Corey's family remains safe from harassment. We also want to protect the integrity of the investigation. At the time of his disappearance, Corey is described as a 34-year-old white man. He is 5 foot 10 inches tall and 195 pounds. He has a muscular build with many tattoos, including on his neck and face. Corey has very short blonde hair and hazel eyes. He was last seen in the Bonington area near the town of Nelson, B.C. on August 31, 2020. If anyone has any information about Corey's whereabouts, we ask that you call the Nelson Police Department or Crime Stoppers. So this case takes place in Nelson, British Columbia, a small town located in the Kootenai region of the southern interior of British Columbia. The town of Nelson exists on the traditional territory of the Kutanaha, Sayoux, and Sinex First Nations. In the current day, Nelson is a small town with a population of about 12,000 people. But Nelson has a different vibe of any small town I've ever been to. The downtown core boasts fun and funky restaurants, art galleries, theaters, and a thriving local business scene. It has a really almost cosmopolitan feel rather than what you would normally find in a small, natural, resource-based town. There is real personality to Nelson. The town itself is really cool, with historic old buildings surrounded by the backdrop of the Selkirk Mountains and Kootenai Lake. 
And in the modern day, it is a draw for people looking to live a more outdoor activity type of life. It is a very beautiful spot. Oddly, crime-wise, in 2018, Nelson was ranked 66th most dangerous on a list of 229 communities in Canada, ranking ahead of major Canadian cities like Toronto, Kelowna, Montreal, or Hamilton. Nelson also held the dubious high ranking of 10th on the impaired driving list, as well as a predictably high ranking of 8th on the cannabis trafficking or production crime rate list. If you've ever been to Nelson, you'll know that cannabis culture has been a pretty important part of Nelson's vibe for a long, long time. So Corey wasn't originally from Nelson. In fact, it took him a little time to get there and finally call it home. Corey was born in New Brunswick on March 7, 1986. When he was nine months old, his family made the trek out west to trail British Columbia. Eventually, the family moved to Kelowna, where Corey finished his schooling. Corey grew up with his mom and his older sister in the Okanagan. He finished high school at Mount Boucherie Secondary School, and he was into BMX, snowboarding, and just sports in general. He played football and was a super active kid. He was active as an adult as well, and not a day would go by without Corey hitting the gym. Folks often describe Corey as high energy. He had a good, close group of friends, and Corey dated a few women here and there, some serious, some not so much. Eventually, Corey moved to the big city of Vancouver, British Columbia. When Corey was about 19, he took a trip to Burning Man, where he met a woman who was much older than him. The two fell in love and quickly got married. From all accounts, the relationship was a good one. As a couple, they traveled the world going to places like India and Thailand. And as Corey began to travel, he started to use his body as a canvas to commemorate his travels and things that he felt were important to him. Corey was absolutely covered in tattoos by his 30s. Sadly, the relationship eventually ended and the two split up. Around 2013, Corey enrolled in an acting school in Vancouver to stretch his chops and see if he could make it in the busy Vancouver film scene. But sadly, it was not to be. It was at this time that a close friend of Corey's died from an unintentional overdose. This would be one of two times that Corey would lose somebody he cared about to an unintentional overdose. There was a third death that also affected Corey's life. His dad sadly passed away in 2015. Growing up, Corey didn't really know his dad very well because his father resided in New Brunswick. But in recent years, they were talking on the phone and making plans to meet. In fact, the whole family on that side were trying to get Corey to come to New Brunswick and be part of the family. So it would appear that he and his father were getting there. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. Corey would feel really bad that him and his father weren't able to meet up. Perhaps it was this, or the end of the relationship, or his friends overdosing that led Corey to experiment with drugs as a means of escape. Eventually, Corey's drug use went from recreational to problematic. He struggled to stay sober or to find a balance in his drug use and everyday life. Corey tried a couple of different treatment centers. He tried ayahuasca, he tried ibogaine. He tried counselors, but he just couldn't find the right combination of tools to quit using. Corey was an avid churchgoer and a person of faith. He regularly attended church. He prayed before meals. He even signed up for counseling programs offered by his church. But he struggled. 
Corey came into the workforce young. He didn't go to post-secondary school or get any degree or certification, but he always managed to find good-paying jobs. He made titanium jewelry, worked at a mill, worked on the oil rigs, he did odd jobs and labor work. In August of 2019, Corey moved to Nelson, BC to be closer to his mother and his sister, and maybe to get away from his struggles and get a fresh start. He first moved in with some roommates, but eventually got his own apartment above a retail store in downtown Nelson. By all accounts, Corey was thriving. He had reconnected with some old friends from childhood. He had a girlfriend, a truck, money in the bank, work, church, and a close connection with family. But he still struggled with his drug of choice, which was ketamine, also known as Special K or K. So we need to talk about ketamine for a moment. Uh, when most folks think of drug addiction, they think of opiates, meth, or cocaine. However, there are other drugs out there that offer an escape that can become addictive. Ketamine is one of those drugs. Ketamine got its start in Belgium in the 1960s as an anesthesia medicine for animals. The FDA approved it as an anesthetic for people in 1970. It was used in treating injured soldiers on the battlefields in the Vietnam War. Unlike other anesthetics, ketamine doesn't slow breathing or heart rate, so patients don't need to be on a ventilator to receive it. Ketamine is usually snorted in powdered form. The experience itself tends to be cumulative, meaning that you get higher over a prolonged period of time while using it. For example, if you use heroin, meth, or cocaine, you tend to oscillate between going up on a high and crashing back down. But with K, if you're using it all night, the effects get more intense as the evening goes on. In some studies, ketamine has been shown to reduce the effects of depression and suicidal ideation. The high is an interesting one. It's like the spirituality and warmth of magic mushrooms, but with the electric intensity of MDMA or rave-type drugs. Because it is an anesthetic, users run the risk of falling into a K-hole. A K-hole is like an overdose, but the user doesn't die or fall into cardiac arrest or pulmonary failure. Instead, they look and become almost comatose for a period of time. K-holes are super tricky, and even the most experienced K-users accidentally overindulge and fall into a K-hole from time to time. Corey's mom, Dee, explains really well why she believes that Corey was drawn to the feelings ketamine gave him. Yeah, I spoke to the police about ketamine and I've done some research on it as well and I guess it's the emotional attachment that you become addicted to not so much the the drug part of it but the feeling of being able to numb and um, I believe Corey was in some pain when he started doing ketamine maybe from his marriage breakup maybe from the other breakup, I'm not really sure, but I think he was running from pain when he started on ketamine, and then it just became something for him that numbed whatever was bothering him, and we talked about it quite in depth, and he really wanted to get away from the ketamine, but he had a really hard time with it, and... Um, I, I've got a message that he sent me, you know, why can't I just stop doing this? Because um, he really wanted to get past it, but it had a hold on him for sure. So clearly Corey was a person who was searching for some meaning and some healing in life. He had his struggles, but he always seemed to persevere and make the best of things. 
We are now going to walk through what we know of the night that Corey went missing. So like we said, by the summer of 2020, Corey was living in Nelson, British Columbia. And like most people, he was working intermittently due to the pandemic. In August of 2020, Corey and his girlfriend at the time were on a break. However, they still saw one another socially, and for insurance reasons, Corey's truck was in her name. This will be important later. For the rest of this episode, rather than using her real name, we are simply going to refer to her as ex-girlfriend. On the evening of Sunday, August 30th, Corey had been hanging out and partying at the house of an acquaintance. For the purpose of this episode, we will call the acquaintance Floyd. On the morning of Monday, August 31st, 2020, Corey started his day like he usually does, at the gym. By all accounts, Corey was in a great mood. He had a good workout and joked around with the gym owner about trying to gain some of the muscle he had lost. After the gym, Corey had lunch with some friends and then did some shopping. He returned back to his Baker Street apartment and left his shopping items on the kitchen counter. Among those items were toiletries and several packages of hemp t-shirts and underwear. Corey opened one of the packages and put on a brand new black colored hemp t-shirt. Beside the t-shirts and toiletries, Corey also left $500 in cash and an older cell phone on the kitchen counter. Corey then headed out the door and left his apartment on Baker Street to head to Floyd's Place, which is located on the outskirts of Bonnington. This is about a 15-minute drive away from Corey's apartment. Apparently, Corey called Floyd to see if Floyd wanted some sushi. Floyd declined the offer. It is unclear as to what time Corey left his apartment. At around 6.30 p.m., surveillance cameras pick up Corey at a Shell gas station located on Highway 6 near Tagum, B.C., This is on the way to Floyd's place, just a 10-minute drive or 9.5 kilometers from Corey's apartment. While at the gas station, Corey can be seen wearing the new black t-shirt and what appears to be short khaki pants. Corey filled his tank with fuel and purchased three coconut waters. Corey's gray 2007 Toyota Tundra had some issues with a sensor that would sometimes trick the truck into driving in a slower gear. So he had a tool that he used to restart the battery. Corey can be seen popping the hood of the truck and fixing the battery situation, and then he drives off. His destination was Floyd's property, located on Bonnington Road, which would be another seven minutes drive or eight kilometers from the gas station. Floyd's property is about 1.3 acres and in a rural area. Many of the properties in the area are set back from the roads and surrounded by trees. They cannot be seen from the road. It is unclear what time Corey arrived at Floyd's place, but it can be guessed to be close to 7 p.m. A witness has placed Corey at Floyd's place at around 8 or 8.30 p.m. It is currently unclear who else was at Floyd's place. What we have been told is that Floyd was on a three-day bender, and it has been confirmed that Corey was also doing ketamine there. What happened next only a handful of people know, and no one is talking. Floyd claims that he asked Corey to leave his home at around midnight and that Corey left in his own truck. Here is Dee's understanding of what happened that night. We have edited out Floyd's real name for this podcast. Instead of putting annoying censor beeps in the episode, we have just cut his legal name out. So if you hear a blank space, just mentally think Floyd. But my my gut tells me that was dealing ketamine. Corey was there the day before also. And so I believe that 
with selling ketamine and possibly that's what Corey was going for because he went two days in a row. That's kind of what, I don't know, that's the feeling I'm getting is that there was a draw there. Well, not so so much a hangout, but what I what I've heard rumor wise is that deals different drugs. He also grows marijuana for the government. He he grows for BC Craft, um, and so I believe had different people working for him, and that may be why people don't want to talk. Also, is because they're involved in this these drugs, whatever. Dee would go on to tell us more about what she's heard about that night, including an interesting delivery that Floyd received. Yeah, he had a delivery of cocaine approximately 8.30 that evening when Corey was present. And the person who delivered the cocaine saw Corey there and had a brief conversation. So um, then is saying that Corey left between... 12 and 1, I believe, and his truck ended up at the canal, the Kootenai Canal with the keys in it. There was a flashlight in it as well that he would have taken if he was getting out because it would be very dark there, like black, there's no lighting. So, and it was parked in the opposite direction of him going home. So Floyd states that Corey drove off in his Toyota Tundra, which is odd because ketamine is, um, uh, it really creates mobility issues in people who are using it, and driving would be challenging. It should be noted that Floyd's property also has a surveillance and security system with cameras. However, his cameras were allegedly not working when Corey left his property between midnight and 1 a.m. on the morning of Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. So Dee and many people in Nelson believe that Corey went over to Floyd's place to purchase and do some K, but that something went terribly wrong. We asked Dee how she became aware that Corey was missing. Um, I, it was the night of the 30, well, the early morning of the 1st. I woke up at 2.37 and I just had a lot of pressure in my chest and I thought, I was having a health issue, and so I I sat up, and the first thing that came to my mind was Corey, for whatever reason, and so at that point, I couldn't get him out of my head, and so I spoke with his sister and said, you know, I think something's really wrong with Corey. I started reaching out to Corey with no reply, of course, and then when I didn't get a reply... I believe on the second it was, I reached out to the ex-girlfriend and the friend that he lived with, the long-term friend that he had, that he had had moved in with at that one period of time. And um, they didn't know either where Corey was, but were concerned also because he was missing appointments. He had a counseling appointment. He had set up, I guess, different things, the lunch date, and him and the ex-girlfriend had had plans for the following evening, all things that Corey wouldn't miss. He was pretty responsible, like that way, if he had something to do, he made sure he was there to do it. 
So Dee continued to reach out to Corey's friends, and all calls to Corey's phone were going straight to voicemail. Dee was not in Nelson at the time, so it was very challenging for her to coordinate with other people in Nelson to help find Corey. Days passed with Corey's friends looking for him, and no one could find him. So Dee asked his friends to go to the police to report Corey missing until she could get to Nelson. Corey Westcott was reported missing on September 4th, 2020. Between September 4th and September 7th, Nelson police received multiple reports of an abandoned gray pickup truck that was parked along a forestry road near Kootenai Canal. Police were able to confirm the sighting by using a helicopter. On September 7th, 2020, the Nelson police located Corey Westcott's Toyota Tundra. Inside the truck, the keys were still in the ignition. Also inside the truck was a flashlight that Corey would have needed at night. The police estimated by the amount of dust and debris on the truck that it had been there for up to seven days. So the road that Corey's truck was found on is called Rover Creek Forest Service Road. While the road is used by local folks going to cabins or doing other outdoor activities, by most standards it could be considered remote or rural. There are no streetlights there, and at night the area would be quite dark. The road is surrounded by trees. It's quite a wooded area as well. The truck was found about a seven-minute drive or six kilometers from Floyd's property. This location would have been the wrong direction for Corey to have been heading home. In fact, the truck was parked facing the wrong direction as well. In order to get to this road, you have to cross the Kootenai River along the Blewett Road Bridge. Then, you will eventually come to another bridge that crosses the Kootenai Canal which is used for hydroelectric power. It is just after that second bridge that Corey's truck was found. The police did not search Corey's truck for forensics. They instead released the truck to Corey's ex-girlfriend, who then drove the truck directly back to Floyd's property. She is alleged to have stated that she didn't feel comfortable driving the truck with the ongoing battery and sensor issue. So instead, she drove it right back to the last place that Corey was suspected to be. So let's get into what we have learned since that day after a quick break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I do have to say that the detective involved is very involved. I know that he is doing his best to try and find Corey, but with nobody talking, it's a real challenge. So clearly Dee has a great relationship with the Nelson Police Department, but we did ask her how she felt about the truck not being searched forensically and being handed over 
to Corey's ex-girlfriend. It should have never been released like that. They should have taken it forensics right there, right then. So before the break, we outlined what we believed to be Corey's last movements. Essentially, he had a pretty average day on August 31st, 2020. Then he headed to Floyd's remote acreage outside of Nelson. Corey was witnessed at Floyd's place at around 8.30 p.m. Floyd then claims that Corey left around midnight. Corey was reported missing on September 4th, 2020, and Corey's truck was found on September 7th on a forestry road. The truck was then released to Corey's ex-girlfriend, who, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, the truck was also insured under her name. She then allegedly drove it back to Floyd's property. The truck was not searched forensically by law enforcement. So let's get into some evidence, some people, and some strange occurrences. So first off, Corey's current mobile phone has never been found. They did find an older phone at his apartment, but that's not the one he was currently using. The last outgoing call from Corey's phone was to his friend at around 11 p.m. on August 31st. This call went straight to that person's voicemail. According to the friend, the voicemail was short, and it was just noises. The friend told law enforcement and family members that the noises sounded like gurgling. Frustratingly, the voicemail was automatically deleted after seven days. According to D, phone records indicate that the last call Corey made came from Floyd's property. So let's talk about the cameras. Like we stated earlier, there are cameras and a security system on Floyd's property. However, his cameras were not working on the evening that Corey was there. On Facebook, he posted to a comment thread about property crime in the area, stating, I have a full surveillance and alarm system with signage everywhere. He then goes on to recommend two security companies that he has used. So clearly he is so proud of his surveillance system that he would recommend it to other people. However, on the night that Corey was there, for some reason, his security cameras were not working. Okay, so we now need to talk about some of the people that may be able to help this investigation. They may have more information than they've given so far. They may have seen something. Again, we will not be using names. The first person we will call the witness, and this is the same person that was doing a delivery at Floyd's place. This person has provided information that they saw Corey at Floyd's property at around 8.30 p.m. on August 31st. They state that they entered the house and saw Corey alive and possibly using ketamine. The witness did not state who else was there, but does confirm that Floyd was also there. The next person who may be helpful for the investigation is Corey's ex-girlfriend. From what we understand, she and Corey had a bit of a challenging relationship as they were both struggling with ketamine use. The relationship had recently ended, but they were still in touch with one another socially. Corey's ex-girlfriend is also an acquaintance of Floyd's. As we stated, the Toyota Tundra was in her name for insurance purposes. As a result, the truck was released to her by law enforcement after it was found. According to Dee, she took the truck directly back to Floyd's property after it was released to her. However, her reasoning was that she didn't feel safe driving the Tundra with the ongoing sensor issue and that Floyd's property was the closest place she felt comfortable driving it. So obviously we need to talk about Floyd. According to Dee, Floyd lives on his property in Bonnington, British Columbia. He is a registered cannabis grower, which means he is certified by the government to grow weed. 
According to other sources, there may be illegal activity going on on that property, which is possibly the reason why people aren't coming forward with information about Corey. Here are some of Dee's insights about Floyd. Again, we have edited out his real name. Yeah, he's never reached out to... Well, Corey knew since around 2008. Um, He's never reached out to me or my daughter for um, support, help, just to say I'm sorry or that for your loss, nothing, not one word to us. And when he was asked, when he was asked by the girlfriend when she took the truck back there and his statement, I hope I don't get blamed for killing him, just rings in my head every day because nobody said he was dead. They said he was missing. So that that right there alone just makes my hair stand up. It's like, why would he say he was dead, killed? Nobody said that. He's the one that said that. They said he was missing. So just to clarify here, according to witnesses, Floyd stated that he hopes he doesn't get blamed for Corey's death while Corey was still considered a missing person. And this happened on the day that Corey's ex-girlfriend dropped off the truck at Floyd's property. Floyd has refused to allow Dee to search his property. Although searchers have searched around the property, they have not been allowed on that land. We asked for Dee's thoughts on the surveillance system and Floyd's behavior after Corey was reported missing. Well, apparently he's saying that the camera wasn't working. Um, I believe it was turned off, but I don't really know his system, but... Uh, Yeah, so he's saying that the camera wasn't working that night. He was offered a polygraph also, and he said he would take it, and that was in the wintertime. He's never shown up for it. So Floyd never showed up for his polygraph test. And to make things more suspicious, Dee has recently confirmed that in June of 2021, Floyd had an excavator on his property doing some digging. The police have never searched his property nor have they been granted access. Another person we need to talk about we will call Apartment Guy. So on September 9th, just a few days after Corey was reported missing, and weeks before it was even in the newspaper, Apartment Guy walked into the home decor store that is below Corey's apartment. He asked the clerk if he could rent Corey's apartment. He specifically said Corey's name. Apparently he did this twice. The clerk then called the landlord and this information eventually made its way back to D. So what obviously makes this so suspicious is that Corey wasn't reported missing in the papers until September 25th. So why would this person believe that Corey wasn't coming back? Apartment guy tried to claim that Corey had told him he was leaving town. But if you look at Corey's apartment, there were no boxes or signs of someone moving. According to D, apartment guy did run in the same circles as Corey and Floyd. That's the big thing for me. It's like, why would you assume that my son was not coming back to his place eight days after he's gone? I mean, he could have went away for a week and just forgot to mention it. But for some reason, this guy went into the place downstairs and asked about Corey's apartment specifically, using Corey's name. And so the landlord when I got in touch with him, um, gave me this information, actually called me back with it. He found it very suspicious and said, you know, I don't know why this guy, but he's gone downstairs to the carpet store inquiring about Corey's place twice. 
and now he's leaving me messages about the apartment. So that was two days after Corey's truck was found, but we hadn't released that information that the truck was found. I mean, it is a small town. He could have gotten wind of it, but he is in the same circle. as He knew that I was upstairs at Corey's place. I stayed there for 45 days when Corey went missing, and I came, and uh, I was there. But instead of coming upstairs and knocking on the door, he went to the carpet store to inquire about renting it. And then he told me Corey was his friend. Well, well, if Corey was your friend, why wouldn't you have come upstairs and knocked on the door instead of trying to rent his place? So this is everything that we currently know about the incident surrounding Corey's disappearance and the people who still may be able to help the investigation. We know that there are other people in the Nelson area who can help. Let's get into some theories and how you can help the investigation after a quick break. He wasn't a criminal. Matter of fact, he was very spiritual and he believed in God and and he prayed before he ate any food of any kind, even if it was a snack. He, it had to be blessed because I had gone and eaten with him and and he got mad at me one time for starting because I, I was hungry, but I, I forgot to wait until he said grace. So, yes, he was very, very much into God and wanted to change his life and and be a Christian, and be a whole person, but he was struggling. And we are back. That was a clip of Dee speaking about her son, Corey. Dee does acknowledge that she doesn't know every aspect of Corey's life, and she keeps the door open to all possibilities. Ultimately, she just wants to bring her son home. So normally we would walk you through some theories of what may have happened. If you're familiar with our show, we talk about accidents, self-harm, or a person willfully walking away from their life. But for Dee and others close to the case, none of those theories make sense. There is no evidence to point to Corey leaving his life willfully. With regards to self-harm, Dee shared with us that Corey was adamantly against suicide or self-harm. He actually had a whole spiritual philosophy around it. Dee and Corey often spoke about spirituality, beliefs, and values. So they had covered the challenging topic of suicide in the past. She feels in her heart that this is not a viable theory. And of course, the evidence does not support this as a theory at all. There were also no indicators that Corey had been in some kind of accident on the road. Why would he leave his flashlight behind if he got into trouble on the road? It doesn't make any sense. It is clear by the evidence that something happened to Corey on August 31st, after 9 p.m., and that the persons responsible dumped Corey's truck on a forestry service road. Dee has spoken with many psychics over the last year, and each one of them has repeated the same thing, that Corey did not see it coming, and that he was attacked from behind by someone that he knows. Dee has heard a lot of speculation and rumors about what happened on the evening of August 31st, 2020. Some of the rumors are about a physical altercation that got out of control, Some of the rumors are that Corey was attacked while he was in a K-hole and was unable to defend himself. To her core, Dee believes whatever happened to Corey 
happened on the Bonington Road property. Dee believes that more than one person was involved in what happened to Corey. Keep in mind that Corey was 200 pounds and muscular. It would not be easy for one person to attack Corey or to move him and hide his body after the fact. Over the last year, there have been many search efforts to find Corey Westcott. Dee wants nothing more than to find her son, to bring him home, and to be able to put him to rest with dignity. The problem is the vast mountainous and forested area that is the Kootenai region. We asked Dee about these searches. I don't know what else. I don't know what else to do or where to turn. It's it's a big area here to search. I've been out there with health issues, dragging myself around, looking for Corey, you know, doing 10 kilometers a day some days. And and I've searched where the truck was found. It was searched by divers, the canal, and and we had dogs out there and, and drones and, and stuff. At one time, I don't believe Corey is where the truck was found. That being said... There's two bridges. So when you go down to Blewett, there's the first bridge, which goes to the river. And then the second bridge is a canal. And sometimes I think that may have stopped at the first bridge and threw him into the river, which goes to Washington. People have actually washed up in Washington after a long period of time, but... But um, I don't know. He he could be anywhere. And so um, I've gotten some places pinpointed the detective has sent me maps for, and I don't know why he feels these specific areas, but uh, I've gone out and tried to search, search those as well. And um, yeah, it's a lot of area to search. There's a group of folks on Facebook in a group called Answers for Corey that has been helping Dee. But as we have explained in previous episodes, the families of missing people can feel isolated and alone. We asked Dee about who was involved in this Facebook group. Well, I've had some people um, reach out and volunteer. Now, a lot of these people don't know Corey. They're just willing to try and help me. They can see the devastation my life is in every day. And so um, I have some people online that reach out to other people trying to get keep Corey's name out there and his face so that it's not lost, forgotten, put on the back burner. I try to do something every day to make sure that this stays in the know because I don't, I know, I just don't want it to go cold case. And yeah, so I have the Nelson Police Department and the detective from there. And then I have just people who volunteer to help me. Friends of Dee have launched a GoFundMe to help Dee attract more resources in her search to find Corey. We will link this in our show notes. We asked Dee how our listeners could help. Well, um... Searching, for one, that's that's number one, I guess. Well, no, number one would be to come forward if they have any information. Um, I know people are tight-lipped and they seem scared, but um, this person is in the community, and if this is what that person's capable of, it needs to be stopped. 
it won't stop at Corey if this if he gets away with it, I believe, right? So um, number one is to come forward if there's any information, however big or small or whatever they may think insignificant, but it could be. And to search, um, keep your eyes open. There's um, a person out there somewhere and... Uh, I just hope people will continue to look for Corey. Yeah, I just, I so desperately want to bring him home and, and let him be at peace and lay him to rest. That part is huge for me. I just need to bring him home. If I could do that, you know, then we can figure out the justice part later. But finding him also may prove what happened. And it's so... I. I can't express how badly I want to bring him home. I could answer questions, and I just want to put him to rest. It's knowing that he's out there and thrown away like garbage eats at me every day. There are people out there who have information that may be able to help bring answers for Corey. We know they may be scared. But we also know that there are amazing and community-minded people in the Nelson area. And if this could happen to Corey, it could happen again. There are more good people in this world than bad. We hope that the folks in Nelson who know something do the right thing and help bring some closure for Dee and her family. Right now, Dee is struggling to search for her son and to keep his name in the public sphere. If anyone listening to this episode works for any organizations that can help with searches or advocate for missing and murdered people, we want to ask you to reach out to Dee. You can find her on the Facebook group, Answers for Corey. If any of our listeners can think of any other ways that could help out this cause, feel free to post them in Corey's Facebook group. Please be respectful. At the time of his disappearance, Corey is described as a 34-year-old white man. He is 5 foot 10 inches tall and 195 pounds. He has a muscular build with many tattoos, including on his neck, face, and hands. Corey has very short blonde hair and hazel eyes. He was last seen in the Bonnington area, near the town of Nelson, B.C., on August 31, 2020. If anyone has any information about Corey's whereabouts, we ask that you call Nelson Police Department or Crime Stoppers. We want to thank Dee for talking with us and letting us tell Corey's story. We also want to thank Genevieve at True Crime Real Time for all of her help as well. And to the folks in the Answers for Corey Facebook group, we are grateful for all the work you are doing to keep Corey's name out there while also supporting Dee. If anyone out there knows something, please say something. True North True Crime is an independent and self-funded podcast. If you would like to buy us a coffee, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. Or if merch is your thing, you can pick yourself up some True North True Crime drip at our merch link posted in the show notes. Don't forget to follow us on social media at tntcpod on Instagram and Twitter or at True North True Crime on Facebook. Our producers on the podcast are Amy's Book Reviews, Susan S., Alex and Andrea P., Kennedy, Alberta, Cindy McD, Blair M., Alyssa S., CJ Jeze, Anastasia, Ariel E., Melanie E., Kelly D., Carolyn M., Emily L., Jason D., Jimmy H., Tiffany C., Keith R., Mari M., 
Lorena, and the Missing and Unexplained podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode, so until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, gang.